Hello and God bless you today from Carlsbad, New Mexico. You are listening to a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. We hope you enjoy the message today, and we'd love to hear from you. If anything in this message has touched you, you have a prayer request, or just want to reach out, you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash New Song Carlsbad NM. You can also mail us at Post Office Box 761, Carlsbad, New Mexico, zip code 88221. Please enjoy this message and have a very blessed day. Bible, but it's it's uh, it's not a translation; it's a paraphrase, which means whoever wrote it took a lot of liberty in writing it, so that you could better understand what it was saying. Uh, unfortunately, in in that they lost some of the meaning, but it's okay. It's a it's a Bible to to get if you're just wanting to read about the stories in the Bible and what happened and so forth. So I encourage you to do that. Hallelujah. It's funny, you know, I, we, I don't ever talk to John about music. We don't correlate it with a sermon. But the, the one song there that we did, the uh, uh, Lord You Are, more praise, there's a verse in there that talks about the darkness Darkness is a, a strange thing. Listen to this little story. It's called The Cave and the Sun. Cave and the Sun, S-U-N, the Sun, the Cave and the Sun. Once upon a time, a cave lived under the ground. That's where they live, you know. As caves have a habit of doing. It had spent its lifetime in darkness. It heard a voice calling to it, Hey, come up into the light. Come and see the sunshine. The cave answered, I don't know what you mean. There isn't anything but darkness. Finally, the cave ventured forth and was surprised to see light everywhere. Looking up to the sun, the cave said, Well, come with me and see the darkness. The sun sun asked, "What, What is darkness? The cave replied, Come and see. So one day the sun accepted the invitation and as it entered the cave, it said, now show me your darkness. But there was no darkness. Jesus is the light. Every word that came out of his mouth is eternal. It provided light for people 2,000, 4,000 years ago and it provides light for you today. I'm talking about life-changing light. It's amazing. I know that some of you have gone through so many struggles that you feel like sometimes your entire life is darkness. Just remember, the light never goes out. I remember as a small boy going into the Carlsbad Caverns and they had... They, had, uh, they took rocks and cement and made little benches for everybody to sit on. And Man, on our tour, they used to guide those tours, and uh, there might be five, 600 people. And everybody sat down. The, 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 the guy from the park service would stand up and say, now, don't, don't anybody move because we're going to turn out the lights. We want you to see what it's like to be blind. And I'm telling you. They turned the lights out. I put my, I, I put my finger right there. I couldn't see it. 
course, there was a funny guy uh, down the way from me a little ways. And in the middle of that demonstration, I heard a... <laughs> he was kissing his girlfriend. Anyway. How many of you remember that? It was right by Iceberg Rock. Remember that, Harley? What a place. <laughs> what happens to us when we get in darkness and we don't feel like we can get out? Number 17, verse 3. And thou write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi, for one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. At this time in history, there was a fight going on among the Jewish nation. Who would be in charge? Who would be in charge of the government? Who would be in charge of all spiritual matters? And there were 12 tribes, and they were fighting constantly among themselves. And God says, we're going we're gonna to end this discussion. We're going to end it. Every tribe was required to bring a rod, a stick, a branch, there was no uh, bark on the branch. There was no, uh, nothing was budding on it. It was just stripped clean, each of the 12 tribes. And look what happened in verse 4. And thou shalt lay them in the tabernacle. Keep in mind, they're out in the wilderness. They don't have a permanent building called the temple yet. They have a tent. They're a nomadic people. They've just come out of Egypt after 450 years of bondage. And they have a tent, and it's their church, so to speak. They have two rooms in that tent, the holy place and the holy of holies. In that back room, they placed their most sacred object of their belief system, the Ark of the Covenant. It was a box about five feet long, uh, three and a half feet high and wide. And placed inside of that box, first of all, were the Ten Commandments that the finger of God wrote on the side of a hill or in solid rock, the Ten Commandments. Moses brought them down, and they put them in that box. Also, there was a pot with a lid on it, and it contained manna. That's the stuff that fell out of the sky that they ate. Now, there it is. And then there was... Aaron's rod that budded. You can see it there laying on the floor of the box. Notice on the top of the box, there are two angels, cherubs, cherubim. These angels have wings, and they stretched out. They're a little bit close in that picture. They didn't actually quite touch their wings. And right in the center where the two wings approached to one another was where God sat. That is his throne. There was a certain way you could carry it. You could not touch it with your hands. You had to carry it with, with sticks. Uh, there were staves on both sides, uh, ringlets made out of uh, iron. Uh, they put the sticks through, and four men could carry the box. You had to do it the way God said to do it. How many of you know you got to do it God's way? We try to do it your way. Boy, I don't know if I've learned that lesson yet. Verse 4, thou shalt lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. Verse 5, and it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose, God shall choose, shall blossom. And I will make 
to cease from me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Do you know why they spent 40 years in the wilderness? It's because they never stopped griping and complaining from the moment they left Egypt till 40 years later when they got into the promised land. They never stopped griping. And think about that a moment. God brought them out of bondage and they didn't come out poor. They came out with all the gold, all the silver, all the jewels, everything that was of value in Egypt. Pharaoh gave it to him. He just said, take it and go. They'd gone through ten plagues. The last one was the firstborn male of every creature was put to death, including Pharaoh's son. Take that stuff and go. And you know the story. You'd think after seeing Moses stand up on the side of the Red Sea and Aaron hands him his stick, his rod, and Moses holds that thing up and the Red Sea splits right down the middle. If you ever saw the movie Ten Commandments, that's a pretty good rendition of the way it happened. And because Pharaoh changed his mind, he's sitting in the palace one day, am I crazy? I've given him all my jewelry and gold. Mount up, we're going to go get them. And here they come with their chariots, probably over 200 chariots. The children of Israel walked down into the bottom of the Red Sea and walked across on dry land. Think about that. You look up, the sea is 50 feet above your head on both sides. Were they scared? You better believe it. And you'd think after all the things that God did for them, they would never gripe ever again. Think about it. But they griped and they moaned and complained. Now, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to think for a minute. Are you a complainer? And do you get angry at God? How many of you have have ever been angry at God? I have. Remember I told you I was doing that one day? I was real mad at God. I mean, I was shaking my fist at God. You know what he said to me? He said, John. Yes, sir. There's no fault in God. Everybody say no fault. That means it's never his fault. Well, then whose fault is it? Well, you might try the blaming the devil. Right? Blame somebody else or blame yourself. But it's never God's fault. And you know what? It, let me tell you how bad it got. God can get angry. God can get jealous. It's not what you, whether or not you get angry or jealous, it's what you do with those emotions. And, and it's how long you f- let them fester. For example, he said, don't let the sun go down on your, on your anger. But he came to a point where he said, because you have, now listen to me, because you've done this, not one of you, except two men, Joshua and Caleb, Not a one of you will enter the the promised land. Your children will, but you won't. So he waited an an entire generation. Back then, that was 40 years. They all died. Moses didn't get to go because he disobeyed God. God took him up on a mountain and let him see the promised land. And by the way, it wasn't uh, the way Israel is today. Israel's less than half the size of New Mexico. The narrowest point of Israel is between five and nine miles wide. 
When God showed Moses the promised land, it was from the, the river in Egypt, he said, the Nile, unto the great river Euphrates. All of that. That was the, the land of Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt. All of that belongs to Israel. All of it. Now you've got Islam coming forth claiming, oh, no, no, that's our land. They take their claim out of the, the fact that Abraham couldn't wait for God to complete the miracle in his wife, Sarah. Oh, she's 90 years old. She can't have children, right? And so Sarah brings her maiden, Hagar, says, bring, think about this, brings her right to Abraham, says, here, go, go make a child with her, and we'll adopt it and consider it. The, that the blessing that God promised is complete. That didn't make God very happy. And a time, uh, time later, after the birth of Ishmael, which was his name, Sarah did get pregnant. 90, probably about 92 years old, or a little more. Gave birth to Isaac. How many of you know God never tempts you? but he will test you. I'll give you a little example of that testing. One day God came to Abraham and said, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now, they were used to sacrificing animals, blood. Remember what I said about blood? The, the life, the Bible says the life is in the blood. When, when an animal gives its blood, it's giving its life. Same for a human. Now, Abraham wasn't real happy about that, but he was going to obey God. They went out, walked for a long ways, some men with him. He had his son. His son got a little curious because his dad failed to tell him where they were going and what they were going to do. And Isaac said, well, well, Dad, where's the sacrifice that we're supposed to make? And Abraham said these words, son, don't worry about it. God will supply. And if you put a comma in the right place, if you don't, it reads like this. God will provide himself a sacrifice. But if you put a comma in there, a little hesitation, God will provide himself, comma, a sacrifice. You get it? So Abraham tied his son's hands, got some sticks, laid him on those sticks and pulled out a big old knife. He's got it in the air, and what he's going to do, he's got it. You cut the throat of the animal. Why? By the way, how many of you have been to Israel besides me? Anybody? You have. You've been, did you go to the market there? You know, you go to your market at Walmart, you're buying you a nice steak, and they put it in that styrofoam-looking plate thing, and they cover it over with, glossy paper or whatever that saran wrap. Did you ever notice down inside there what's under that stake? Blood. You will never see that in Israel. When they kill an animal, they, they kill it by bleeding it out. You can't, you can't get a chicken that's got blood in it. You can't, everything that's a piece of meat, that's the way it's handled. And so Abraham is prepared to take the life of his own son and he's just right on the, right at that moment, and an angel comes and stops him. 
and says you've pleased God because you have shown God that you will not withhold anything from him, even your only son. Look at verse 6. It Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece, for each prince one according to their father's house, houses. Even the twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. Now Aaron was a Levite. Keep that in mind. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And that's in the tent. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth and bloomed in blossoms and yielded almonds, a stick, mind you, a branch off of a tree that had been sawed off of the mother plant, so to speak, stripped of its bark, not a bud on it anywhere, and they put it in the tabernacle, and God touched it with his blessing, and it gave forth, it yielded a fruit. That's what some of you in here need. You need something to be yielding in your life. You need a financial miracle. You may need a miracle in your body, in your health. There were a lot of people that day that were disappointed because there was one rod that budded Aaron's. The rest of them stayed dead. You know what? They never did bring that question up again. It was settled once and for all and forever. There's always a dispute going on, it seems like, and you'd think that we Christians wouldn't be disputing about anything, but we, we seem, sometimes we seem to be the worst of all. We need to get with our God, and we need to pray, and we need to ask him what he wants in our life, and how does he want to accomplish that purpose, and what is he requiring of us? God wants to do something in your life. Listen to me. He wants to take something in your life that you thought was totally hopeless, beyond repair, totally dead, and he wants you to take that dead thing and cause it to bud and blossom and bring forth fruit. That's what God wants for you. Everybody look at me. You've got to do it his way. You can't go and steal it from somebody else. And you know what? God will give you instructions. It's gotten so bad with some of you that you've been thinking about quitting. I was sharing this the other day. I came home one time several years ago angry, angry at God, angry at the ministry. I had my big Bible in my hand and my wife was in the living room. I walked in there from outside and I threw that Bible against that wall as hard as I could. And I said, quote, I quit. Being in the ministry sometimes is not easy. You're not always a bed of roses. No, you're not. And no, I'm not either. Look at Romans 13, please, verse 11. Quickly, I don't know how many of these, but there's a lot of scriptures there. and If I don't get to all of them, I hope you'll take, it, take them home and read them. Romans 13, verse 11. 
And I do apologize for my voice. It says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Today is the day of salvation. Not long ago, we had a meeting, a family kind of a get-together at our home and uh, one of the persons in our family, which will remain nameless, uh, toward the end of the evening, I just, the Lord just all, was all over me. It was, it was either obey him or die, that's the way I felt. And I went into that living room and I just waved everybody. And I looked at him and I said, you're going to have to have Jesus in your heart. Got real quiet. He let me take him a couple of books. I want you to be praying for that person. You know, my dad... Never went to church, never set foot in a church. He claimed to believe in God. He, we even prayed sometimes for a meal. But if you said the name Jesus to him, he'd look at you puzzled. He just thought God was God. All roads lead to God. Every religion's okay. And I've told you the story. We came down from the mountains. He and I, one, he had cancer. In fact, just a few short weeks after going to Queen, with him, he died. But when we got in the car, I locked all the doors. He looked at me funny. I said, Dad, I'm fixing to tell you about Jesus, and you're not going to say a word all the way to Carlsbad, and I'm going to drive slow. Huh? No. Dad, I said, you're not going to say a word. And he didn't. I told him who Jesus was, where he came from, why he died, how he died. And the fact that without Jesus in your heart, you're, you're not going to make it. Just because you say you're a believer in God doesn't mean you're going to make it. You've got to do it God's way. And God says you've got to get there through His Son. We pulled up in front of His house, finally. That's about a 50-minute drive. We pulled, pulled up in front of His house two or three hours later. He got out of that truck and slammed that door. I thought the window was going to break, fall out on the ground. But you know, after he died, he had a Baptist cousin now, I'm telling you, this guy was a Baptist, and I love Baptists. You know why? Because if you want to know how to get saved, find yourself a Baptist, right? They know how to get saved. Well, that cousin called my dad up just a few days before he died. My dad's name was J.D. He said, J.D., I just want to know one thing. Do you know my Jesus or not? That's the way he said it. And my dad, he told me this later at the funeral. My dad told him, yes, I think I'm ready for that now. That's all he said. It's, it's not so much what you say. It's what you in here when you say it. You don't know what people do in their closet or in their house when nobody's home. My mother got saved in a, while she's in a coma in Lubbock Hospital. She'd had a stroke. But she, she was in a coma, but she, could, she understood every word. I'd, I'd go in and I'd say, Mom, uh, 
Are you cold? She'd nod her head. I'd get her a blanket. But she couldn't talk, couldn't, couldn't open her eyes. But see, the year before that, she came to me and said, I want, uh, she said, I want you and I to spend time together. I want you to come. I was working for Allied uh, Furniture Movers then, and she said, I want you to come over every day. I'm going to feed you lunch. Okay, Mom, but I'm, I'm going to reserve the right to talk about anything I want. Oh, well, that's okay. So every day, every day, went over there and told my mom about Jesus. So here she's dying on her deathbed at the hospital in Lubbock. And I said, Mom, you remember all those talks we had? She nodded her head. I said, did you know that right now the doctors aren't giving us a lot of hope? They want to operate, but if you can't stabilize, they're not going to be able to do it. You know that, Mom? She nodded her head. And I said, you remember I told you if you just ask Jesus, come into your heart, he would do it. She nodded her head. I said, have you done that, Mom? And she nodded her head. When I came out of that room, a person came into the waiting room. Is there a John Burke here? John Burke? Oh, praise man. You have a phone call out here in the lobby. So I went out in the lobby, and it was a woman from Carlsbad. She didn't know a thing. What she didn't know is that right after I came out of that room, my mother died. She died. And I'm pretty weepy, and I'm standing there, phone call. This, I get on the phone. This woman says, I don't know what this means. I don't even know what's going on over there, but I, God told me to call you and tell you that he had your mother with him. She didn't know she was dead. Now, you're not shouting for joy because it wasn't your mama. The Bible says he'll save you and your house. Can you believe that? How many of you got people in your family you're still praying for and you're still, look at that, still trying to get them into the kingdom? God help us. God help us. We've got all of these things that we're going through. All of these adversity, adversities. Trouble, my friend. You got trouble right here in River City. <laughs> you got trouble. You got problems. Sometimes you wonder if, if God even loves you. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. First verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Can you imagine that? The Spirit of Almighty God moving in the darkness touching the sea on this planet he had just created. Uh, dry land appears. Trees break forth. Somebody said, uh, well, did, did God create a, uh, how did God create the first chicken? Was it an egg or a chicken? I believe God created a completely mature creation. I don't think he put a bunch of Easter eggs out there and they, they broke open and made chickens. I think God just made chickens. Come on. Your God loves you so much. You know that? He does. Our God said, let there be light. And light evolved. Listen to this. That word means it came out of the darkness. The darkness sometimes thinks, it almost seems to have a mind of its own. I've got you now. I've got you right where I want you. 
You wait till I get through with you. You're going to die and everything you love is going to die. Everybody you love is going to die, die, die. But this says out of the darkness, light emerged. Undaunted, unintimidated. We have a God who doesn't have to have everything in order to do what he said he's going to do. He can create. In fact, he, it says he created everything out of nothing. You try that sometimes. Try to build you a box out of nothing. Your God is a great God. But the devil, he's not a dummy. I'm not going to give him any credit here, but I'm going to tell you something. Listen to this. He hate, it's kind of like what's going on in, in the American politics right now. I think some people in Washington, D.C. hate Donald Trump more than they love America. Do you know what I'm saying? There has to come a point where you, you have to stand up and say, I'm going to lay down what I think, I'm, and I'm going to just pick up, uh, maybe to just shut my mouth altogether for the good of the nation. Donald Trump does have problems. He's got a big mouth. Calls people names. He's immature. But boy, can he change this country. Right now, I think that's what we need. That's enough politics. Our God is the night watchman. Not only did he bring us out of the dark and into the light, he's built a wall around us and he guards that wall. He walks the ramparts of that wall of your life, watching you day and night, taking care of you, making sure that you have what you need. Your God loves you. You are his child. You are either his son or his daughter. He has adopted you. And Romans 8 says he's made you an heir and a joint heir with his son. Where can you go and find a God like that? You remember the story of Paul and Silas? They were out ministering and they got arrested. Well, you can't be coming around here talking about another religion. We're Jewish and that's the way it is. So they got arrested and threw, thrown in jail. Now, back in those days, when I shared this story with somebody, today, I thought I was going to just weep. I have been to where the high priest lived during the time of Jesus. I, it, it's gone now. There's a church that has been built over it, but it's, it's on a limestone shelf right below the old city. And uh, they built a church over it. Uh, underneath his house, there were holes gouged out of the limestone that they used for prison cells. And what they did is they carved a hole just big enough for a man to go through. And as they went down, they widened it out. There were no stairs. The only way you could get in there or out, they put a rope down there. You put your foot in the rope, and they either let you down or they drug you out. Now, because they've got tourists now, they went in there, and they broke out one side of the wall, and they put some stairs in there so tourists can go in there. And by the way, they know, they have proven archaeologically that this cell was the very cell that Jesus spent the night in before he was crucified. And I, I went down those stairs into that cell. It wasn't very big. It, it might have been 10 feet square. And I noticed up on the wall, now, there were two pieces of iron. They didn't have steel then, but they had iron. Two spikes driven in the wall. And you know what those were for, don't you? They'd tie a rope up there and tie the prisoner's wrists 
pull up on him so he could just barely tiptoe stand there. And they lift him like that all night. And I'm standing in the room. And I start weeping. You know why? Because I should have been the one in that room, not him. He was without sin. The Bible says, listen, he became sin for you. God, God, please help us. So they got Paul and Silas, and they're in a cell, and they have, what they've done, they've tied their arms, their wrists together tight. Look at Acts chapter 16 very quickly. Let's see what happened. Verse 25. Acts 16 verse 25. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises unto God. Everybody look at me. If you want to get a book that will raise you up and get you excited, you need to find a book, and Carol could get it for you, called Praise Releases Faith. I think you have one or two down there now. By a man by the name of Terry Law, L-A-W. Praise Releases Faith. Every time you're in darkness, to get out of it, I don't care what it is, it's financial health, you're in jail, whatever it is, you're going to have to walk in faith. And these two men, in their darkness, in, with their hands tied, probably got beaten, uh, didn't have anything to eat, thrown into a cell, not sure what's going to happen to them. Are they going to stone them to death? In the midst of that, they raised their tied hands and began singing to their God. Listen, let's see. And at midnight, verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and they sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. That means whatever they were tied with just fell off. How many of you know, how many of you know that's a miracle? That's a miracle. It happened to him, I don't know if this was the time, uh, he didn't want to leave because he didn't want the jailer to be put to death. You know, these jailers back then were uh, assigned to their prisoners, and if they escaped, the, the, what the jailer got was, he got death, he got put to death. Praise releases faith, and when faith is released, miracles take place. Instead of you griping and being angry with God, why don't you go home today and praise Him in the midst of your darkness? Praise Him. First of all, you can start out by saying, Lord, I worship you and I know that you are not the author of this confusion. You're not the author of the pain I'm in. You're not the author of my financial disaster that's going on. You are the author of love, joy, and a sound mind. So therefore, I praise you. I worship you. I lift you up because you're worthy to be praised. And see if your shackles don't fall off. God help us. God help us. Even the body of Jesus lay in a tomb for three days and nights. What a miracle. 
Do you know that Jesus is the only one who has ever been resurrected? Oh, I know you know about Elijah, but he wasn't resurrected. He was just taken. Enoch, he didn't die. He just was taken. Well, you say, what about Lazarus? Lazarus wasn't resurrected because he had to come back to life and then die again. When you're resurrected, you don't ever die again. And by the way, everyone will be resurrected whether you're going to spend eternity with God or not. It's not a whether you're going to be with him. It's where are you going to be? And we've got a whole bunch of churches in America today that are teaching and preaching now that there is no place such as hell because they can't get the concept of hell past their mind. How could such a loving, great God send anybody to a place like that? The answer to that is he's never sent one there. They send themselves. Oh, God. sometimes have you ever heard this answer when you cried out to God and in your desperation you're almost begging has he ever whispered back at you my grace is sufficient for you you ever heard that answer what is he telling you hang on it's not as bad as you think and I'm right here with you and I'm going to walk through it with you The Bible says all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Listen, I don't care what you're going through. Something good's going to happen out of it. Either you will learn something that you couldn't have learned any other way or he's just going to radically change your life. You're going to go from being a person who was a coward into a warrior for God. And that happens when you go through stuff. Look at your neighbor and say, stuff. Some of you guys in here, you're going through some stuff right now. But I'm going to tell you something. The more afflicted you get, the stronger you'll get. And if you'll endure for the night, you will receive power. Power. Once you've gone through a night of affliction and God has been right right there with you and set you free, a couple of sure things take place. Number one, there's that book on the wall. Number one, you find out that you can trust him. How many of you know you can trust him? You can trust him. I'm in a place now where I'm going to have to trust God every day from now on. That's what happens when you get, oh, I'll be 71 this month. Send all of your monetary gifts to, no, never mind, I was just kidding. Yeah, I know. You come to a place where you realize, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, you've got to walk by faith, not by sight. God, who quickened the dead and called those things which are not as though they were. That's Romans 4, 17. God takes things that you think are already decided and they are impossible, and he miraculously, right in front of your eyes, changes everything. And that old man in first cafeteria, I told you about this the other day, died on a Sunday. All these church people were trying to get in the door to get lunch. And this, guy, this guy's got the audacity to die right in front of me. And I caught him before he hit the floor, drug him over to that bench, that wooden bench, and he's dead. I've seen a lot of dead people, and he was dead, dead, dead. And I'd always wondered, what would you ever do if you're in a position like that, particularly if people are watching you, 
I slapped my, I don't know where this came from. I slapped my hand on his head and I said, I rebuke you, spirit of death, in Jesus' name. And he went, <gasps> and his eyes started fluttering and he came back to life. His wife was hitting me on the back of my head. Do that again. Folks, that was a miracle. Jesus said, the things I have done, you shall do, and greater things than these shall you do, because I go to the Father. Do you know why Jesus felt comfortable to leave you here and him go to heaven? It's because he put himself inside of every one of you. It's, it, I'm not telling you you're Jesus, but listen to me. It's like having millions and millions of little Jesuses running all over the planet, healing this one, saving that one, praying for that one. The, listen, Jesus came in the form of a man, and he was, he was tied, he was bound by the fact that he was one person. Uh, the largest crowd he ever spoke to was about 5,000 people. And, and yet he knew that if he left and left the third part of the Godhead to inhabit your body, to possess your body. He knew that all the power that he had, all the gifts that he had, all the knowledge that he had would be at your disposal. Every bit of it. And some of you are walking around and you're not aware of the power that you have right inside of you. You are a powerful creature. Look at your neighbor and say, I got power. Come on, tell them that. I got power. <laughs> Thank you, my Jesus. Thank you, my Lord. You know, I think about Adam sometimes. I don't know where he figured out that what loneliness was. He was created by God. God had made God made Adam out of dirt. Did you know that? Your body's made chemically out of the same stuff in the dirt. And he made this creature, and he, he listen to me, he brooded over him like a mother hen. And then he squatted down over what he had made, and he put his lips and mouth over the nose and mouth of Adam, and he, and he blew into him the nephesh, which means Adam became a living so he didn't do that with any animal, and you are not an animal. Now they're walking in the cool of the garden every day, and Moses is a little embarrassed. I mean Moses. Adam's a little embarrassed. He, he looks up at God and says, God, I'm kind of lonely. Well, you got me. I mean, well, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of lonely. So God put him to sleep find that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 21 he put him to sleep and caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh and instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woe man a woe man a woe man and brought her unto the man. You woe mans in here need to understand how important you are. Like, I think my wife understands, but because kind of some things I'm going through right now, I need her uh, more than I've ever needed her. Just need her to be there. How many of you men know what I'm talking about? You can't replace that with anything. W women, 
You are so vital. You are so important. It's like Don said, amen. He knows because right now his wife's in Houston and he's here. But they have things here that had to be taken care of so he can't be there right now. I need to pray for them. Women, you are vital. The Bible says that you are a help meet. The way I look at that is if your husband, if you men think that you can be a success in your life in anything without your woe man, you are sadly mistaken. It takes a woe man to make a successful man, woe man. And men, didn't God know what he was doing when he made a woe man? Yeah, you ladies are beautiful too. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're, you're beautiful. I have the most beautiful one there is. But that's just the way it is. Listen to me. There was a time in my life where I, I got real serious with God. I, I finally figured it out. I figured out that this is not a religion and this is not a game. This is real stuff here. We were living up at Queen at a ranch. And I was driving to work every day in a, a white Volkswagen Beetle. Every day down the hill, every day back up the hill. My wife and three-year-old son were there in that ranch cabin. We loved it there. But then I got, I got real serious with God. I, and I was driving back, and it, it was just turning dark. And I was talking to God. I said, God, I, I've, got, I've got to hear your voice. You, you, you've got to speak to me. And I don't recommend you do this, okay? I'm just telling you what I did. You know what he said to me after I told him that? He said, if you open your mouth, I'll speak to you. Now, see, the reason I don't recommend you do that is because you have the tendency, you would in that situation, to prophesy over yourself. Thus said the Lord, I'm going to give you $5 million. Wouldn't you? Well, I took, a, I took a risk and I opened my mouth and I began to prophesy. Nobody in the car but me and God. And I can't tell you today everything he told me, but very little of it had anything to do with money. You know, what it, you know what it was about? It was about his love for me. Because see, I, I felt kind of like I was lost. Like my life wasn't going anywhere. I had a, I had a, a university degree. Uh, didn't know where I was going. And it wasn't long before we, the people that owned that place sold it, so we had to move. But God had a plan. And what a life it's been, right? Right, woman? I want to close now, but I want you to look at John chapter 15 quickly. 
the Gospel of John 15, verse 16. Look at this carefully. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and break, bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You know, Jesus is your advocate. He's talking to God on your behalf. Every time... You see, Jesus in heaven, he's watching you every day. And when he sees that you're in trouble, you're in torment, you're in agony, he turns to the Father. He's sitting on the right hand of the Father. So he turns this way and says, Father, so-and-so's in trouble. we got to help him. He is your advocate. He cries out to the Father for you on a daily basis. Lord, help them. And he, and he does. God comes. I I've seen God do some of the most uh, impossible things you can ever imagine. It's amazing what God does if we'll just trust him. You know, for Aaron and for Moses, it started out with a stick. Aaron got that stick. I guess Moses gave him a stick. Here's a stick. We'll call it a rod. Most of you would say rod. You remember getting spanked with a rod. This was a stick of power and authority. And neither one of them took that lightly. In that stick was just wood. But when God ordained its purpose, it became a powerful rod. Stick it in the air and oceans split apart. Pharaoh's chariots are held back. Hold the stick up and a column of fire comes down from the heavens and holds the chariots back so they can get across the Red Sea. It's just a stick. And some of you may feel like you're about as plain as a stick, but God will use you if you'll ask him. And I'm asking you to ask him. This church needs to grow and there's things that need to be done here. I can't do it without your help. The other day when I left the hospital, I said, well, Liz, am I, am I done? Should I quit? Should I retire? And you know what she said? No. That's my woe, man. So I guess you're stuck with me. Well, you know why? Because what else would I do? Get up every day at 2 in the afternoon, eat lunch, and then go back to bed till the next day? That's not a life, is it? Okay. Bow your heads. Turn the lights out, John, for just a minute. I'm going to let you go early. i got two questions to ask you. If you're here today and you, you're not sure you're going to heaven, would you slip your hand up and say, please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. This may be your last chance. Anybody? Okay. Now, if you're here and you feel like a plain old piece of wood, like that rod, and you don't feel like God loves you or anybody else loves you, and you don't feel sometimes like you have any purpose or use 
in life, would you lift your hand up and say, would you pray for me? Oh, my goodness. Come on, be honest. Raise your hand if you feel like that. Thank you. Father, you've seen all those hands, and I just pray for each person. I pray, mighty God, that you will reach down right now in this room. May this be the holy of holies for their, for their healing, for their financial victory and miracle. May it be the holy of holies as you cure and heal their children. Father, as you guard their home and their cars and everything they own, everything they possess. And then, Father, as you open up their eyes and begin to reveal to them the power and the plan and the ministry you've prepared only for them. I pray, Lord, that they'll reach out and grab it with both hands and say, Lord, I'll go, send me. That's what old Robert said, I'll go, send me. Became one of the greatest evangelists of our day. That's what Billy Graham said, Lord, I'll go, send me. Most powerful evangelist in the history of mankind, Billy Graham. Nobody knows how many millions of people were saved under his ministry. He's gone now, he's with Jesus. One night in South Korea, he spoke in front of an audience of two million people in a big field. 60,000 people came to the altar and got saved in one meeting. About the population of Carlsbad, a little less. That's your God. Father, as we go today, I'm asking that you will come and touch our hearts let us feel your presence. Let us feel your assurance that you're, you're assuring us, Lord, that you are there. You know what we're going through. You care, and you're going to encourage us. You're going to save us. You're going to heal us. You're going to prosper us financially. Lord, I, I just ask you to speak that to every person in here. Help us to have a great week this week. Be with our children. We love them, Father. I'm asking you to bless them. Keep them safe. And, Father, in this town where all this oil stuff's going on, and I know, and everybody else in here knows, it's, it's good on one hand, on the other it's not. We've got methane in the air that we didn't have before. We've got ozone layers here that are being dilapidated. We, it's, it's not all roses. Lord, I'm asking you to, to keep us safe. With all the traffic out there between Loving and Pecos, Texas, people dying. I don't know how many have died now since that oil field opened up, but it's a bunch. Most of them have been hit by trucks. Uh, somebody fell asleep. Somebody was drunk. And Father, I'm asking you for your help to protect the people in our community and the people that work in the oil field. Well, Father, as we go today, we love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. God bless you. The light's up there, sir. And you are dismissed. Love on somebody before you go. This has been a broadcast of New Song Christian Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today. If you wish to partner with us and support this ministry, you can give online at newsongcarlsbad.churchcenter.com forward slash giving. Your gift is tax deductible. 
Please share this broadcast with your friends and neighbors and help us spread the good news of Jesus Christ all across the globe. May the Lord richly bless you.